1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. Well, I'm so glad to have you here with us for the final day of the noon prayer session for our 2021 Holy Week Revival. And if you're joining us online, be sure to click share, especially on Facebook, be sure to click share. And the day is Good Friday. And of course, on Good Friday and Easter weekend, we remember all that Jesus did on our behalf, but we also ought to walk in all that he did on our behalf, and that's true in our prayer lives. I want to take you to Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities. And the word there is koli, which specifically means sicknesses or diseases. Surely he took up our sicknesses or diseases and carried our sorrows. Now, when translations translate that word macabre as sorrow, it almost sounds like our emotional pain or our emotional baggage, but the word literally means pain, physical pain. So he took up our sicknesses and our diseases. He carried our pain Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And remember in the New Testament, the New Testament quotes Isaiah here in the past tense. We have been healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And, the Lord, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And praise God, we are his offspring. Amen? Amen. We are his sons and daughters. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Well, that's you and me. Amen? We are justified in him. And he will bear there our iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I, thank you I thank you for all, for all that, Jesus did that Jesus did on my behalf. On my behalf. I thank you that you so love me, you sent your son into this sinful, wicked world, and he gave his life on our behalf, that we might be born again, that we might be forgiven of our sins, that everything that separates us from you might be dealt with, that we could be your sons and daughters, that we could be your very own child, a part of your family. And we thank you that we are born again. We thank you that we are saved. We thank you that we are healed, that by his wounds we have been healed. We thank you that because of what he did, we are blessed in every area of life, we thank you that because we're a part of your family, 
And there is no longer any separation. We thank you that because we have been reconciled, that we now have your spirit. And we are filled with your spirit. And we thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And we give you the praise and the credit and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we remember what he did, but we should also walk in the light of what he did, and that's true in our prayer lives. Now, to quickly review what we have covered so far this week, we've learned, number one, that when you pray, pray according to the Word of God, according to the Bible. And so whatever the need is, whatever the situation is, whatever the issue is, whether you're praying about something in your life or for someone else, find two or three scriptures that cover the situation. So when you pray, you have confidence standing on His Word. Number two, when you pray, pray that needs would be met, your needs and the needs of others. Number three, you can pray with confidence and faith when you know the will of God, which is His Word. And again, we do our best on Sundays and Wednesdays. We do our best to cover as much as possible. But if you say, well, Austin, I need to know more about this or more about that, you got to get into the Word and find out what it says. Number four, we've learned that you will have whatsoever you say in prayer. Number five, we've learned that we are to pray with confidence knowing our Heavenly Father wants to give us good gifts or good things. Number six, we learned yesterday that when we face a challenge of any kind, we should pray to obtain the victory. And I gave you that old time Pentecostal phrase, pray through to obtain the victory. Now, we don't tarry for things that have already been given to us and for things that we can receive right now by faith. That said, when there's a challenge or a difficulty or an obstacle, we don't pray five minutes and then give up and quit. Or we don't pray for a week or two and then quit or give up. We pray through to obtain the victory. Number seven, to have an effective prayer life, you've got to get the unbelief out of your life. And as I said, there are times when we pray and we doubt here. That's not the problem. The issue is if there's unbelief in our heart. And so you've got to get unbelief out of your heart if you're going to have power and faith and power in prayer. And we left off yesterday with point number eight, pray faithfully and consistently, but do not seek ex experiences in prayer. Pray faithfully and consistently, but do not seek experiences in prayer. And again, if you're getting started and having prayer time, uh, you're not going to be successful if you start out with an hour a day. You got to get started and be consistent, whether that's 10 minutes or 15 minutes and then go on from there. And as I said at the beginning of the week, when I was a young man and would go to various meetings, pastors, conferences, you always hear people say this or that, but at the end of the day, only the Lord knows what everybody's actually doing in their private time. So don't get into guilt or condemnation. Be faithful, be consistent. But as you're faithful and consistent, don't seek experiences in prayer. And as I said yesterday, if you honestly study the lives of Abraham Moses and Paul, occasionally or rarely, they had an experience. But in the lives of great men and women of faith in the Bible, experiences did not happen every day. They were rare. Some examples. Abraham lived 175 years. Of those 175 years, he walked with God 100 years. And over the course of 100 years, God spoke to him occasionally. After he first called Abraham in Genesis 12, God did not speak to Abraham again until after he separated from Lot. Abraham had one vision, and God appeared to him four times. And I'm not counting Melchizedek because the Bible treats Melchizedek as a real historical person. And so someone might say, well, that was an appearance by the Lord, by the Word to Abraham. But I think it's clear in Scripture it treats, that, treats Melchizedek as a historical person. So we know that the Lord appeared God appeared to Abraham four times. In addition to those encounters, God spoke to him several other times. And Scripture doesn't specify the way in which the Lord spoke to him. But this is over the course of 100 years. Say 100 years. 100 years. Now we have something Abraham didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit. He is here with us. We have the baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
we have his still small voice. And so we ought to walk with the Holy Spirit and be led by him every day. Romans 8.14 says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So tell your neighbor, say, don't be offended. You know, maybe a year ago, there was a Sunday morning message, and we dealt with Gideon. And as a part of dealing with Gideon, I mentioned how Gideon put out a fleece, but that was because it was the old covenant. Gideon knew very little about the things of God, and no Christian under the new covenant with the Holy Spirit has any business putting a fleece out. Well, I heard some young guy, and of course he married a young gal, wasn't from FCC. She was angry about that, me saying, don't put out a fleece. Uh, don't get your feelings hurt. Amen. And when we teach on these things, we're not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. We're trying to help you. And so if you put out a fleece this morning, just go home and don't look at it. Just, just put it away. Amen. We have the Holy Spirit. Moses was tending flocks. He was working, which uh, if you deal with animals, that's a dirty, stinky, smelly business. It's hard work. He was tending flocks when he saw the burning bush. So he was not doing anything super spiritual. Pray faithfully and consistently, but do not seek out experiences in prayer. After his conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul served in Christian ministry for about 30 years. Not counting his conversion on the road to Damascus, when he saw and heard the risen, resurrected Christ, Paul had at least two visions. Luke mentions one. Paul refers to the other in the third person in 1 Corinthians 12, which tells us that he was reluctant to even tell people about it. What humility by the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. So again, pray faithfully and consistently, but do not seek out experiences in prayer. And again, as we study the lives of great men and women of God, occasionally or rarely they might have had an experience, but that was not happening every day. And again, as I said, if you're reading through Genesis in your devotional time and you cover the life of Abraham in a day or two, you might think, man, every time Abraham turned around, the Lord was showing up, the Lord was speaking to him, God was coming over with angels for dinner at his house, but those instances were rare. And over the course of a hundred years, it wasn't that common. People get into trouble and they're often deceived by Satan when they seek experiences or signs. And if you go seeking an experience or a sign, Satan who poses as an angel of light, he'll give you one. So again, pray faithfully and consistently, but don't seek out experiences in prayer. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, not by the flesh. We walk by faith, not by our senses. We could say it this way. We walk by the word of God, not by sight, not by our senses, not by our feelings or our emotions, not by our flesh. When people walk by experiences or feelings, then they are walking by the senses, not by God's word and not by faith. And I gave you that quote from E.W. Kenyon yesterday. It's too long to give it to you again today. That was at the end of yesterday's message. But the problem is when people live by the flesh, they're, they're, they're the ones tossed to and fro. And it's trouble, trouble, trouble. We're to live by faith. We're to live by God's word, not by our senses. And of course, we like signs. We like miracles. We like wonders. There's nothing as wonderful as sensing and feeling the presence of God. But not every morning in prayer is a spiritual high. As I said yesterday, there are some days you get up to pray and, you know, you might sense his presence and it's very special. And then there are days you might get up to pray and there's nothing spiritual about it besides the fact that you are engaging in the discipline of prayer, which is powerful, which is effective, regardless of how you feel. But your hair might be messed up. You might be a little bit grumpy. You might need another cappuccino. Every day is not a spiritual high. And that's why we walk by faith, by the word, not by the flesh or by the senses or by the feelings. As Fred Price said in that message in 1988, the other side of signs and wonders, we like these things. We like signs, we like wonders, we like miracles, but we do not walk by them. And when you come across someone, you come across people and they tell you about this dream or that vision or this word, 
nine times out of 10, or I would say more accurately, 99% of the time, if you look at their life, they're not a doer of the Word of God. If you look at their life, they're defeated in every area of life, and their life does not bear the good fruit of the Word. God gave us our spirit, and we are spirit, and we worship Him in spirit and truth. We also have our eyeballs. And how did He tell us to evaluate a tree? By its fruit. It's amazing to me, but there are people on Facebook or on Christian TV, and they would have you believe they have more experiences in one week than Abraham or Moses or Paul had in an entire lifetime. Now think about this. If you take what they say seriously, they would have you believe they have more experiences in one week than Abraham had in 100 years. Well, that tells you it's ridiculous. That tells you it's a product of their imagination or their flesh, whatever it is. So again, when you come across people and they're not talking about the Word, they're not talking about what the Word says, they're talking about this dream or that vision or this Word, nine times out of ten, or more accurately, 99% of the time, they're not a doer of the Word. They're defeated in every area of life. And if you look at their life and their circumstances, there's no progress and they're not bearing the good fruit of the Word. Look over at Acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 10. Acts 9, beginning in verse 10. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Verse 12. In a vision. He, Saul, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now again, to, to understand what's going on, Saul had been going around having Christians arrested, locked up, having people tried, giving approval while people were being put to death, and Jesus Christ got a hold of his attention on the road to Damascus. He, he saw, he heard the Lord. And to be fair to the Apostle Paul, he was in shock. And so again, how did, how did God deal with him? Well, the Lord told Ananias, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Saul, who became Paul, did not know then what he wrote in many of the epistles we have in the New Testament. He later spoke of God giving him knowledge and revelation and helping him to understand mysteries that have now been given to us because of what Jesus did on our behalf. It'd be like if someone came to me and said, well, Austin, you know, Joseph had a lot of dreams. Yes, Joseph was not born again. Joseph did not have the Holy Spirit. So how could God communicate with Joseph and make sure things happen the way they needed to happen? So again, we, we have something that many of the great men and women of faith did not have. We have the entirety of the Word of God, Genesis through Revelation, and we have the baptism of of the Holy Spirit. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, the purpose of God giving a vision to Saul, of giving a vision to Ananias, was so that the gospel could be proclaimed. And so that Saul could fulfill God's role for his life. The proof is in the pudding. And so again, when people get into weirdness and nonsense and there's no good fruit in their lives, you know it's not the Lord. For the purpose of ministry, for the purpose of God's redemptive plan, God can give someone a vision. God can use a vision for his purposes, but we are not to seek these things out. To the church at Corinth, Paul told them to eagerly or earnestly desire the greater spiritual gifts. 
But never once, not one time in the entirety of God's Word does God ever tell us to seek out dreams or visions or experiences. We are to seek after the Lord. We are to seek after His Word. As it said in that E.W. Kenyon quote I gave you yesterday, we are to let His Word satisfy us. And when people are into all of this other stuff, that's the indication they, they're not seeking after the Lord. And they're not letting His Word satisfy them. They don't want to hear what the Word says. They don't want to do what the Word says. And so they're into all the other, looking to hear what they want to hear. We're to seek after the Lord. We're to seek after His Word. We don't seek after the gift. We seek after the giver of all gifts. And if we have Him, if we have the giver of all gifts, if we have His Word, we have all we need. If you are born again, and you have the Holy Spirit, you have all you need. And I don't have to chase after this or chase after that. I have Him, so I have all I need. So God can use these things for His purpose, but we're not to seek them out. Look over at Matthew 16 and verse 4. Jesus said to those on that day, a wicked and adulterous generation. What kind of generation? Wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign but none will be given it except what sign? The sign of Jonah, which is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. No sign will be given it but Easter. And I know we, we sometimes get into the wrong thinking that, well, so-and-so's not right, but if they had a Damascus Road experience, they'd get their act together. You don't know that. There are people, and God could part the water in their bathtub, and it would not be enough for them to get right and walk faithfully with the Lord. That's right. And so we're not to go seeking after these things. Look over at John 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see... And that's the senses, that's the flesh, that's walking by the senses, the flesh, not by faith. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger well, the, where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So Thomas wanted to see, but when Jesus showed up, he said, stop doubting and believe. Notice that Jesus defines doubt and unbelief as walking by the senses. Jesus defines doubt and unbelief as walking by the flesh. Thomas said, verse 28, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have what? Not seen and have still believed. Well, that's you and me. You, you mean to tell me, Austin, you've not been to heaven 25 times? <laughs> See, when people get into all that, 99 percent of the time they're not a doer of his word and instead of being satisfied with his word they're looking for all these other things but on Easter weekend we have to remind ourselves of what Jesus said blessed are those who have not seen and have believed so tell your neighbor say it's better to not see, to not see. and to still believe. to still believe tell your other neighbor say it's better to not see, to not see. and to still believe so never once in God's word does he say we're to seek these things out. We're to seek after the Lord. And if we have him, we have all we need. Amen? And if you are desiring to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, stop seeking after tongues. Seek after the Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill you, and you'll have everything that comes with it. Stop seeking after this or that. Seek after the one who fills us. So we don't seek after the gift. We seek after the giver of all gifts. And if we have him, and if we have his word, we have all we need. So pray faithfully and consistently, and do not, say do not, do not. seek out experiences. Look over at Acts 10. Acts 10, beginning in verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. 
He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he was one of those faithful and consistent people. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God, before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Peter was on a beachside vacation getaway. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Verse 9, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And that, that's a vision, but it's a vision where someone is basically immobile, unable to move. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Ta talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said, you are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate with the Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me, God has shown me, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone, say everyone, everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised or Jewish believers, again, those that had their doubts, their prejudices, their issues with the Gentiles being included in the family of God, the circumcised or Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Well, how did they know? Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now something I want to point out is that everything God did in Joseph's life and Mary's life and even before when Jesus was dedicated at the temple, the two that had been waiting their entire lives for the Messiah, it all had to do with the Messiah and God's plan. And what God did in Paul's life and Peter's life, it all had to do with people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So if you want to live a fruitful Christian life, you've got to give up the weirdness. You've got to give up the super spirituality. Once a man told Aaron and me that he needed to meet, that uh, his life was a wreck, and uh, nothing could have prepared me for that meeting, literally. And so uh, we sat down and, you know, well, what's the problem? And, well, he, he was in a mess, and he was in a mess with his marriage, and he proceeded to tell me the story of how he married this particular lady, and he had met her, they had gone on a date, but he asked the Lord to give him a sign. And he was on the way to work, and he saw a particular license plate, and he thought that was the sign. See, that's somebody walking by what they see. That's somebody walking by the emotions or the flesh. That's not somebody walking by the Word. And so if you want to have a fruitful Christian life, you've got to give up all the crazy. <laughs> and you might say, do you have more of those stories? I do, but they're not edifying. Amen. <laughs> Through these experiences in prayer, God worked to bring Peter to Cornelius' house, where he and his family were saved. They were all saved and filled with the Spirit. Through these experiences in prayer, God worked to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So yes, in prayer, Peter had a vision. But despite this vision, say but. but. Say despite. despite. And here it is, and if you'll see it, it'll help you. Despite this vision, later, was, later Peter was not a doer of the word that God had given him in this vision. He had a vision. God dealt with him in a vision, but despite that experience, despite that vision, on the very same issue, Peter was later not a doer of the word. And Paul said that he had to rebuke Peter to his face. Look over at Galatians 2, beginning in verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him. Some translations say rebuked. I like that better. Amen? I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So not only was Peter doing wrong, he was leading others astray. Not only was he doing wrong, but by his wrongdoing, by his unbiblical conduct, he was leading others astray. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, even someone in ministry, even someone that should have known better was led astray. So yes, Peter had a vision. He had an experience. But despite that, later on the very same issue, not a different issue, on the very same issue, Peter was not a doer of the word he had received. So this is important. God can give someone an experience, God can use an experience, but having an experience won't make someone be a doer of the Word of God. Doesn't matter what they see. Doesn't matter if an angel of the Lord brings the message. Having an experience will not make someone a doer of the Word. You have to choose to live by faith. You have to choose to walk by the Word of God. You have to choose to be a doer of the Word of God every day of your life, no matter how you feel. No matter how spiritual you feel, or as Pastor said last night, whether there are any goosebumps or not, amen. You have to choose to pray faithfully and consistently every day, regardless of whether or not you ever have an experience in prayer. Consider this example. Prayer, or praying in the Spirit in tongues, no matter how much you pray, or how much you pray in the Spirit, cannot negate you being a doer of the Word of God. 
praying and praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, no matter how much you pray, no matter how many hours you pray in the tongues, cannot negate you being a doer of the Word of God. And I'm going to give some examples. On Jessica's side of the family, there is someone, and every time we're around her, she's always talking super spiritual. This word, that word, this dream, always talking about how much she prays, how long she prays, and she's a wonderful lady, and I believe that she's lived a long life because she genuinely does love the Lord. So she prays. She, she prays in the Spirit. Every time I'm around her, she's always telling me about how many hours she's been praying in the Spirit in tongues that week. It's all wonderful, but you also have to be a doer of the Word of God. And so in her life, she's emphasized the things of the Spirit, the spiritual, at the neglect of being a doer of the Word of God. And I'm not saying it's either or. I'm saying it's both and. We're to pray. We're to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit at all times without ceasing. But that doesn't change the fact that if you want to walk in God's best and His blessings, you also have to be a doer of the Word of God. Otherwise, you'll pay the price in your family or with your children or in any area of life. So again, it's somebody saying, well, I've been praying and the Lord's told me this and, and I, I saw this and, you know, this is what's going to happen and all of that. But what good is it if your children's lives are a wreck and there's no good fruit anywhere you look? Now, I know this is a little uh, tough. You're like, I was not expecting this at our last noon prayer session. But again, why do we get into these things? Well, we love you. We love you if you're here in person. We love you if you're watching online. We love you. And we want you to walk in God's best. I'll give another example of a very famous minister. When I was a young man, he would, he would talk about how he prayed three hours a day, then later five hours a day, then later six hours a day. And God used him and he did many wonderful things for the kingdom of God. But he lost his family. He lost his children. And he so lost his family and children that one of his son's behavior disgraced this great man of God in his latter days. And his latter days were not what they could have been if he had spent some of that time with his family and with his children. So we're not to do one at the expense of the other. There is balance. And that's why I say when you hear someone say this or that, you've got to judge everything by the Word of God. And there are people here, different occupations, different jobs. Some people work during the day. Some people work at night. And some people have one child. Some people, like us, have five children. You know, we're making it every day. Amen. You know, and uh, with uh, five little ones, we're doing our best to walk in the Spirit, not by the flesh. Glory to God. So you've got to find balance in your life. We're to pray. We're to pray in the Spirit. Spiritual things matter. But they also matter in the physical, tangible world. And what good is it if we pray in tongues two hours a day if we lose our children? Or if we lose our grandchildren? Or if we're not doers of the Word of God in this area of life or that area of life? So we don't get off into the ditch and do spiritual things at the expense of our family. We don't get off into the ditch and do spiritual things at the expense of our family or at the expense of being doers of the Word of God. You've heard pastors say that not all, but many of his fathers in the faith were poor fathers. An exception who was a good father is John Osteen. You don't have to get off into the ditch in any area of life. Kenneth Hagin once said, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Or they're so spiritually. But I don't believe it's true spirituality. See, we let the weirdos define spirituality when instead we should let the Word of God define spirituality. We don't get into those things. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. So praying or praying in the Spirit in tongues, no matter how much you pray or how much you pray in the Spirit, cannot negate you being a doer of the Word of God. And that's the life lesson my father is always talking about that he saw very early on in the 80s, and that is to be a doer of all the Word of God, not just the parts we like, not just the parts that feel good, to be a doer of all the Word. And for them, it was being a doer of what the Word says in Deuteronomy, to teach and to train. How often? 
at all times, even when the children don't want to hear about it, even when they've heard that same lesson five times or ten times or as pastor says, a thousand times. So yes, Peter saw something, but even though he saw something, later on that same issue, he was not a doer of the Word of God. So we're to walk by the Word. We're to walk by faith. We're to walk by the Word. And yes, we're living in the days Joel prophesied about. Peter quoted the prophet Joel in Acts 2, 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Well, Joel prophesied that. We're living in those days. So there are going to be things that God does. But we don't walk by those things. We walk by the Word of God. And the proof is in the pudding. And the pudding is always people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So yes, we're living in the days Joel prophesied about. But don't have ears for someone who tells you about this or that word or this or that dream or vision when with your eyes you can see they're not a doer of the word. Or with your eyes you can see they're not living a holy life, a righteous life, a pure life. Or you can see there's not good fruit. So we're to pray faithfully and consistently, but we are not to seek experiences in prayer. If God gives you an experience, great. If you never have an experience, great. Because the moment you step from this life into the next, you're going to have an experience. And it's going to be anything that God might do in five minutes in this life. Again, Jesus said, if we have not seen but have believed, we're blessed. If we have not seen but have believed, we're blessed. Say, say I'm, blessed. I'm blessed. Now, in the time left, let's deal with praying for others. You can pray for yourself and for other brothers and sisters in Christ by praying and personalizing Paul's Ephesian prayers. Now note, these prayers are for believers, not unbelievers. The first is in Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 23. And as we walk through this, I'm just going to rehearse how I personalize them over our family. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 17. Heavenly Father, I ask that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, that you would give Jessica and I, and Sophie, and Michaela, and Samuel, and Julia, and Emily, that you would give all of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in order that, you would, that we would all know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of your mighty strength which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand, in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in to come. And I thank you, Lord God, that you placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Kenneth Hagin would talk about how his life changed when he began praying Paul's Ephesian prayers on a regular basis. And these Ephesian prayers, we pray over ourselves, over our family and children, but we also pray it over our church family and our St. Paul school family, that we, we would walk in the fullness of all that Jesus did for us, that we would walk in the, the revelation knowledge of all that he did for us. Now, in the next chapter, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, is not a prayer per se, but it is scripture, and we are to pray what? We are to pray the Word of God. We are to pray His Word. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it's not a specific prayer prayed by the Apostle Paul, but it is Scripture. And I do pray and personalize Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, over our family and over our church family and over our school family. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jessica and I and Sophie and Michaela and Samuel and Julie and Emily, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient. We lived among them at one time, craving the, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following his desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. But I thank you, Heavenly Father, that because of your great love for us, that you, Lord God, you who are rich in mercy, that you have made Jessica, and you have made me, and you have made Sophie, and you have made Michaela, and you have made Samuel and Julia and Emily and our church family and our school family, that you have made us alive with Christ. 
even when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved, and I thank you, Heavenly Father, for it. And I thank you that you have raised us up with Christ, that you have seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages you might show the incomparable riches of your grace expressed in your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace we have been saved, through faith. This not of ourselves, it is your gift. We thank you for it. It is your gift, not by works, so that we cannot boast. For we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you prepared in advance for us to do. And we give you the praise and the credit and the glory for it in Jesus' name. And again, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, that's not a specific prayer Paul prayed, but I thought, well, it's between chapters 1 and chapter 3, which are specific prayers, and this is pretty good stuff to pray. And so that's something I also pray and personalize over our family and our church and school family. Now let's look at the second specific prayer Paul prayed over the believers at Ephesus. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. And Paul, he says here that he kneels, and I'm not going to kneel right now because they won't, they won't see me online. And you, you got to do what works for you. I learned from my father to walk and pray. And I like to walk and pray. And, you know, it helps me stay focused on what I'm doing. And you can tell yourself you're burning some calories too all at the same time. Now, not if you're having a coffee and donut while you're praying. But I, I like to walk and pray. If I, if I tried to lay in bed and pray, that would not work. I'd be out. I'd be snoozing. And uh, I believe that kneeling is a sign of humility, but I cannot pray for long periods of time kneeling. There was a famous pastor, I believe, in uh, Portland. Uh, I think his last name was Payson. And when he passed, and they came, and they got his belongings out of his room, and they, they pulled back the rug next to his bed, there were deep grooves in the wood floor. And it was obvious that he had kneeled there in that same spot all the years of his life to pray. There were grooves in the wood floor. Well, that's wonderful, but it, that's not something that I can do because it's not going to work for me long term. So you got to do what works for you. Amen? Amen? For this reason, I kneel. Heavenly Father, for this reason, I come before you, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives your name. I pray that out of your glorious riches that you would strengthen Jessica and I, that you would strengthen Sophie and Michaela and Samuel and Julia and Emily, that you would strengthen our FCC family and our St. Paul's family, that you would strengthen all of us with power through your spirit and our inner beings, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that each of us, being rooted and established in love, that we would all have power to grasp together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love, the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we would all be filled, every one of us, to the measure of all your fullness. Now to you, Lord God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, within me, within Jessica, within Sophie and Michaela and Samuel and Julia and Emily, within all the wonderful people at FCC and St. Paul's, to you be the glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So these were specific prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 that Paul prayed over the believers at Ephesus. And they're wonderful. And I would encourage you to pray them over your life, your family, and your church family. And just say over everyone, amen, who is a believer that you know and is a part of your church and school family. Next, we got just a little bit of time. Want to deal with this. We are to pray for those in authority. We are to pray for those in authority. 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 1, I urge them. Paul's writing to Timothy. And when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Nero was the emperor of Rome. One of the most wicked men to ever live in this world. If you were to make a list of the most five wicked men to ever walk planet Earth, Hitler would be on the list, but Nero of Rome would be one of them. Paul wrote to Timothy, verse 1, I urge them, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for who? I know the people we like. I know the people we agree with. For who? For everyone. And somebody might say, yeah, but Austin. Yeah, but Austin. But again, we have to remind ourselves of Paul's situation and the context and the context that they were in when he wrote this. Evil times, wicked times, times of 
persecution, times that were so horrific and so evil. In the city of Rome, they would take Christians and they would dip them in tar and they would impale them on stakes and they would set them on fire to light the streets of Rome at night. In times like that, I urge them, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for who? Everyone. For kings and all those in authority. How many in authority? All those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men. How many? Now all will not believe, all will not accept and believe what Jesus did for them. All will not profess faith in Christ. But it doesn't change the fact that whosoever will, whosoever will call upon his name can be saved. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we are to pray faithfully and consistently. We are to pray for those in authority. And yes, we are to pray even for those that we don't like, even for those that we might despise for whatever reasons, even those that we did not vote for. Again, in the days of Nero, one of the most wicked rulers to ever rule, Paul told the believers to pray for all those in authority. So we have no excuse for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. If, the, if Paul, if the Apostle Paul in the early church could pray for all those in authority during the days of Nero, we have no excuse. We are to pray for those in authority. And yes, we're even to pray for those that we don't like, those that we have a profound distaste for, those that we despise, we are to pray for them. Now, how do I personally pray regarding our nation and those in authority? I pray that everything that is in darkness would be brought into the light and judged. I know judgment is coming, but God can judge things in the present. So I pray that everything that is in darkness would be brought into the light and be judged. I pray specifically that those plotting and conspiring and working against the church and Christians would be found out, exposed, and replaced by righteous people. I pray that those promoting perversion, immorality, and the corruption of children would come under great conviction, and that if they do not repent, that they would be judged, judged severely, judged now by Almighty God, and replaced. I pray that those promoting and profiting from the murder of innocent children would come under great conviction, and that if they do not repent, that they would then be judged, judged now, judged severely by God Almighty and replaced. Proverbs 29 verse 2 says, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. So we should pray faithfully and consistently for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. And we should do this all the time, every week, every month, every year, not just before something hits the fan, not just in an election year, I believe that if the church in America did this faithfully and consistently, then our nation would be better off, and the church in America would be better off, and conditions for us as believers would be better off. Again, what's the goal? As Paul said, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, how do we pray regarding the wicked in high places? who are obviously set in their ways. And it's obvious, they will not repent. No matter what God does, they will not repent. Even if there's bad, bad news. Even if as last year in 2020, everything hits the fan, you would think that from the White House on down, they would say, we need to gather together, we need to pray, we need to ask for the help of God. No matter how bad the news was last year, no one did that. So how do we pray regarding the wicked in high places who are obviously set in their ways and will not repent? Psalm 109, verse 8. Now, don't put this on Facebook. And I realize as I say this, it's on Facebook right now. <laughs> so this may be the end of the uh, Facebook live stream if we get reported. You don't have to put everything on Facebook. You know, uh, God still hears you even if it's not on Facebook. It still happened even if you don't post about it. So how do we pray regarding the wicked in high places who are obviously set in their ways and they will not repent? Psalm 109, verse 8, may his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. There are authorities. And you know from what Paul wrote in Romans, again, during bad days, the authority that exists has been established by God. And it's good to have authority because if there's a vacuum of authority, that's anarchy and chaos. 
which we don't want either. Psalm 109, verse 8, may his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. We must always remember what God told his people in Solomon's day. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. So we got to humble ourselves and pray and seek my face. Who do we seek? The Lord. Who do we seek after? The Lord. And that, that's, that, that's why I knew you had come to me and asked me in August or September, October, you know, and I do my best, see all this nutty stuff on Facebook. I'm just not going to say anything. But when people are into all that, that is an indication that it's not going to go the way they want. Because they're seeking all this crazy stuff and they're not seeking who? The Lord. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So that's what we must do. And we ought to be living this out every year. Not just in a year where there's an election or whatever it is. We ought to pray and pray for those in authority regularly on a consistent basis every week, every month, every year. And I believe that if we would do that, it, we would be better off in our nation. That said, God has a calendar. Certain things are going to happen as we head toward the end times on this freight train, but we're still to do our part and we're to pray for all those in authority. You know, if we're on the train, we're going, well, we still need to pray for all those in authority. Now, in just the four minutes we have left, one more important thing. We are to pray for ourselves and our families. We're to pray for fellow believers. We're to pray for our church, our church family. We're to pray for our pastors. Yes, we do need your encouragement. Amen. We're to pray for the body of Christ worldwide when you see something in the news or on ChristianPost.com. And yes, we are even to pray for our enemies and for those who have done us wrong. We are even to pray for the people that we dislike, that have hurt us or hindered us or taken advantage of us. And remember, we always say that walking in love doesn't mean you have to sign up for a second spanking. Walking in love doesn't mean you have to sign up for being taken advantage of a second or third time. Yes, we are to pray for our enemies and for those that have done us wrong. Now, dislike's a nicer word than enemies. So use whatever word you want. Your enemies, you're, you're like, Austin, I don't have an enemies list. Well, we're to walk in truth, amen? <laughs> so it could be the people you dislike, or it could be, you're like, no, I'm I, my enemies, and I need, you, I need to learn how to pray for them. Read and study and pray the Psalms of David to learn how he prayed in trouble and how he prayed regarding the people who did him wrong and took advantage of him. Study the Psalms to learn how David prayed about his enemies. But what did Jesus teach us? Look at Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that, I always explain to my students at St. Paul's, there's nowhere in the Old Testament where it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament that it says, love your neighbor as yourself. See, people don't actually read Deuteronomy and Leviticus for themselves. But the religious leaders in Jesus' day had led people to believe it was okay to love your enemy or to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who do you wrong. Pray for those who have taken advantage of you. Pray, pray for those who have posted something nasty about you on Facebook or whatever it is that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect. Be what? Perfect. You know, and there's this whole thing out there in American Christendom that it doesn't matter how we live, it doesn't matter what we do, you know, that because we pray to prayer, we're, we're, we're good to go, we're on our way to heaven, you know, and, and all this defeatism, you know, and, and they, these lame-o excuses, I'm, Austin, I, I'm just a, a work in progress. Well, brother, sister, you got to make some more progress to please the Lord. Be what? Perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Friends, do you want to be perfect? Do you want to be perfect? in your prayer life, 
Verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who do you wrong. Luke 6, verse 27, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. What are we to do? Bless them. Bless them, Lord. Austin, I can't pray that. Now, I can pray that the Lord will smite them down and take them out. But I, I, I cannot pray that the Lord bless them. You want to be perfect, don't you? You, you want to walk before him perfectly with the perfect heart? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. The Bible tells us vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay. So when someone does you wrong, when someone mistreats you, now don't sign up for more. God gave us free will and choice, amen, and wisdom. When someone does you wrong, when someone mistreats you, don't pay them back. Don't sign up for a second helping of trouble. Put it in God's hands and look to God as your source and supply. The Bible says if a thief be found out, he must repay seven times. Now what do I personally do when I think of someone or a situation or what they did? You might say, Austin, do you consider anyone an enemy? Again, I, I, let's use the word dislike. Maybe it's one of those people you dislike. Now what do I personally do when I think of someone or a situation or what they did? I, I forgive them. Say forgive. forgive. I forgive them. And you go back to Mark eleven twenty five. 25, part of having a successful prayer life is walking in love and forgiving others. And if we want to be forgiven, we must forgive. So when I think of someone or I think of the situation or what they did or what they said or what they posted online, I forgive them. And then I bless them. And then I ask the Lord to bless them. I say, Heavenly Father, I forgive them. I don't hold anything against them. And I ask that you'd bless them. I ask that you'd bless their family. I ask that you bless their children. I ask that you would give unto them the desires of their hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless them. Now, in my flesh, do I feel like praying that way for them? Bless them, Lord. Bless them. No. But again, we're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And if you want to go to a new level in your prayer life, this is a bridge of faith you have to cross. So yes, we are to pray for our enemies and for those who have done us wrong. And I'll end with this. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, brothers, pray for us. And I love that. It's short, straight to the point. Pray for us. The second letter, Paul, was, he said a little bit more. 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning in verse 1, finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. For not everyone has faith. And that verse, pastor's always quoting the Gospels. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And Paul here says, for not everyone has faith. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of those that have been here this week. I pray for all of those that have been here in person, all of those that have watched online and listened online. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for them getting the answers they need from your word so that they can be more effective in their prayer life, more effective in their praying for themselves, for their family, for others, for the body of Christ, for our nation. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would greatly bless them. I ask that you would give unto them the desires of their hearts. I ask that out of this week and out of the 2021 Holy Week revival, I ask that there would be many answers, many answered prayers, many testimonies, and many miracles. And Heavenly Father, I especially pray a special blessing upon all of those that have been here in person this week. Heavenly Father, I ask you to doubly bless them. I ask you to give unto them the desires of their hearts. Heavenly Father, I know that because of our giving and our sowing and our action, we have many unused miracles. And so I pray that every need would be met. I pray that every desire would be met. I, I, whatever anyone is seeking, desiring, asking you for, I pray that you would fulfill on our behalf. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, to bless them and to bless your people in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, 
visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.